Ready? Absolutely. Here we go. You're listening to Learning Transforms from the Faculty of Education at the University of Victoria. I'm Ted Rekin. And I'm Courtney Baldwin. And we're coming to you from the unceded territories of the Lekwungen-speaking peoples and the Wasanas peoples. Welcome to the show. So Ted, what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about trauma, which is an important topic because it's uh, on everybody's minds. It seems it means many different things to different people. What does it mean to you? Uh, well, for me, I think, like you said, trauma can take a million different forms. For me personally, watching the Me Too movement that's happening in Hollywood, watching the Time's Up that's happening in pop culture. Oh, the Time's Up. Well, time's that's, Up, that's right? The, Everybody wore back at the black they, at the Golden Globes. They had to do the, the re-recording, some post-production, and there was Mark Wahlberg and who was the actor? The, the actress. Oh, uh, it was Michelle Williams, and they were reshooting scenes for a movie. And he's getting one and a half million, she's getting $5,000. They both work the same number of hours. And yeah. It's just and there was, lash, there was a lot of lashback about it, yeah. um, because we're starting to see this is it, right? We're starting yeah. to see these things are no longer kept quiet, and there's a very clear movement in Hollywood um, and in pop culture to basically bring activists in and unite together to be able yeah. to start to deal with this. But the, what the reality is you're seeing is that there's a million, there's a million different reasons why trauma happens in the world and for different reasons that it happens in the world. But most people at some point of their lives have had traumatic influence or had have traumatic events happen to them, right? And so part of being informed about trauma means what do you do when someone shares that story? What do you do when you realize that someone's been traumatized and how can we help uh, as a bystander, as a friend, as a family member, as a coworker, when somebody talks about their trauma, how can we help support them, right? Because it's a tricky situation. And we're fortunate here in the faculty that we have an expert in trauma education, Dr. Tim Black, who is the chair of the Department of Educational Psychology and Leadership Studies, has been working with trauma both after the fact through uh, dealing with PTSD and also in the moment when you're encountering someone. So let's listen to a conversation that I had with him previously and um, see what we can learn. That sounds great. Tim, welcome to Learning Transforms. Thanks, Ted. Yeah, looking forward to this. Tim, you've been involved for some time now with the Wounded Warriors Project that aims to support veterans as they transition uh, to civilian life after serving in the military. Can you tell us a bit about this project and, and the role that you play? Mm -hmm. So Wounded Warriors has been a funder of, of the programs that I've been doing for several years now. Um, I started formally working in the space of actually transitioning veterans, as you mentioned, veterans who had usually served many of them oftentimes overseas and then once they'd released from the military who were just struggling in, in getting their feet back under them in civilian society um, and I did that work for about uh, 15, 15, 16 years of just helping them learn sort of how do you get back into civilian life and what do you do a lot of it uh, was about trauma you know obviously war trauma and and uh, with recent conflicts I started back in 98 with with people who'd been in the Dak pocket um, Yugoslavia peacekeeping veterans um, with the Battle of the Medak Pocket. And it slowly transformed over the years into being more about what are the sort of big issues that, that military people face. Obviously trauma is one of them. Um, it's, a, it's a big aspect. Post-traumatic stress disorder it seems to be on everyone's lips these days. 
Um, and then it kind of transferred into working some with the families and, and with couples, uh, helping them deal with PTSD because the family is a huge um, aspect of, of these, these members' lives when they get out because uh, the family goes through their whole military career with them. Um, and then most recently, uh, so what I developed was a program called the COPE program, which stands for Couples Overcoming PTSD Every Day. And following that, we've just released now in the last couple of weeks with Wounded Warriors, the Trauma Resiliency Program, which is focused specifically on building resilience uh, in the face of trauma. So those are a few of the things that have kind of come. The family connection is a really interesting one because uh, unlike previous wars where soldiers were moved from the battlefield across the ocean on ocean liners, maybe taking two weeks to decompress and then get on a train and travel back across the country. Modern day warfare means that you can leave the battlefield, get on an airplane and 36 hours later, be back home in your living room with no time for any kind of decompression and no skills within the family until Tim's programs that would give them any idea how to cope and how to live with someone who's just experienced that trauma. So, so now they're with their, they're with their wives, they're with their partners, they're with their children, and then they have to go and get eggs, or go to the grocery store, or go to the dentist or the doctor, and these are all things that have been incredibly foreign up into this point. Mm -hmm. And even before, they're such different people now because that trauma shapes how you see the yeah. world in so many ways. There's a scene in The Hurt Locker that, um, and I don't know if you've seen that show, but it, that very thing you described, he's in the grocery store, he's buying some food, I don't know if it was eggs or not, but yeah. behind him somebody drops a, a, a carton of milk or a package of things that hits the floor, and his startle response is through the roof, because it's not just a package of eggs hitting the floor, it's a potential life-threatening situation that his mind is geared to be living within because as, as Tim says, that limbic response just never shuts down. Well, and hours before, he it was a life or death response. Yeah. Literally, hours before. Yeah. And so now he here he is, and those types of responses, that you have to transition out of that. That takes time that they didn't get. Exactly. Uh, so as you've mentioned, a central part of your work with veterans and, and here on campus as well revolves around the concept of, of trauma. Mm -hmm. What does the research in this area tell us about trauma and, and how we can best support those who've experienced traumatic events such as the veterans? Yeah, well, we know a lot more about trauma now than we ever have. Um, Post-traumatic stress disorder only entered into our language in 1980. So it hasn't been that long since we've had something to actually focus our efforts. Um, there's lots of good treatments for trauma, but I think what's, what's important for me is there's a lot of misunderstanding about what it means to be traumatized and even how you get traumatized. I think there's a, oftentimes a conception that if you're just exposed to a traumatic event, um, that you'll be traumatized. And that's actually not the case, that there's a few things that have to happen en route to getting traumatized. And being exposed to a traumatic event is just one of those things. So for me, I think probably the best thing we can do for anybody who's been traumatized as a society is to actually learn how do you get traumatized, you know, because with that, with a lot of the misunderstandings, even people who go through it don't understand how they got traumatized. So let me unpack that a bit. You, you, you just said that being exposed to a traumatic event doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be traumatized. There's other things that have to happen along yeah. the way. What are those things? What? Yeah, so in, in the trauma field, we, we talk about, we use terms like the limbic brain, and I prefer terms like the lizard brain. And, you know, this is a very sort of general description of it. We have different parts of our brain and there's one part that's really responsible for 
what we do when we're under direct threat. And so people understand, you know, fight, flight, freeze, and then floppy is another, we call them the four Fs of the trauma response. Um, and that part of your brain, that lizard part of your brain, decides on your behalf, when you're exposed to threat, what your response is gonna be. So if you're exposed to a traumatic event and your lizard brain decides you're gonna fight, then you fight and you'll, you'll do that. But once the, you've had that initial reaction, there's a very physiological completion cycle that has to go to those kinds of things. If anyone's ever been in a, like a car crash, you, you start to shake afterwards, you know, your adrenaline dump happens and cortisol gets released. Um, and what we're finding is that if in extreme environments like traumatic uh, exposure to tra traumatic events, if you allow the person to fully physiologically finish that limbic response, whatever it is, fight, flight, freeze, floppy, whatever it is that needs to happen physiologically, then the chances of them getting traumatized afterwards go way down because they've, they've completed it. So much of what we do in trauma therapy is just helping people finish what we call the lizard brain or limbic response. So that's one factor. So if you get exposed to a traumatic event, if you have a limbic response and it finishes completely and you're supported to do that, you also won't be traumatized. Traumatization happens is when that response gets thwarted in some way. And so you, you take the event, you take the limbic response and you prevent it from finishing. And a lot of things can prevent it. And so, then- Such as? So for example, I work a lot with people who work in military and, and war zones and so for example, somebody gets killed beside you and you're still under attack. You can't go into a full-blown limbic finishing response because you have to save your life and potentially get other people and make sure that they're gonna be. So that's one example of how you, just by circumstances alone, or say you're an emergency service worker and it's, that's just your first call on the shift. You have to go because you just got called from a major car crash on the Pat Bay Highway to somebody dying of a heart attack at a kid's soccer game there is no opportunity to finish those. Then you get 10 of those piled up in a day as an ambulance driver. Then you just want to go home and it feels like it's too much. So all sorts of things. And then the other kicker with all of this, I think where society comes in is negative social responses that follow all of that. That's almost the perfect cocktail for traumatizing someone is that you prevent their limbic response or the lizard brain from finishing whatever it is it needs to do and then you provide either a shaming response or just a lack of response. That, in the work that I've done over the last 20 years, seems to be when people get traumatized, you can almost inevitably point to how they weren't able to finish and something negative socially was said to them, done to them, or they experienced. This is really important because it tells us that societal response and even an individual's response can either prevent or solidify trauma. Yeah. It's super important too to remember that we have a role to play and that our one word, sometimes for me, if I'm having a bad day or if I'm not necessarily where I should be and not present in the moment, I can sometimes say things offhandedly, not realizing that it can have a real impact on someone. So if someone has experienced some sort of trauma or has had something happen to them, I think what my takeaway from this is, is to be kind and to be supportive and to make sure that I don't add or contribute to any process that leads to trauma or, trauma or PTSD. And this is where education comes in. Mm -hmm. Some of this work comes from uh, um, Dave Grossman's work out of the States where he looked at the, the differential PTSD rates between say World War II veterans and Vietnam veterans. 
And the social responses to those two wars were so vastly different. The Vietnam veterans came back and they were called baby killers and they were, they were, they were the national shame because they lost. Whereas after World War II, they were heroes. And that really mitigated some of the effects of all the trauma that people had seen is that when you're held in society and sort of honored and, and held up for what you've done, in this case, military people, that has a real buffering effect. But when you're shamed or spat on or um, you know, in a smaller case example, someone gets sexually assaulted and the first thing someone says, well, how much did you have to drink that night? That right there increases the risk that person's going to be traumatized. Just, just that one response because you're placing blame on the individual. So then why would you need to do anything for yourself if it was your, if it was your fault? So that, though, that's sort of the formula that we work on now when we're teaching people about how to become resilient is to understand that's how you get traumatized. So if say something bad happens and the limbic response kicks in, mm -hmm. it's cut short yep. and then six months or a year later you're, you're working with a therapist to, uh, to resolve that. Can, how do you reactivate that limbic yep. response months after the fact? Well see the, the thing about trauma that's so upsetting for people is that it's never not activated. That's kind of what trauma is, is that your lizard brain has no timestamp on it. So it, its job is to try to finish whatever got started back when you were exposed. So the hallmark of trauma for people is that they re-experience the trauma over and over and over again as though it's happening right in the present moment. So getting it reactivated is not so much the issue. The issue is how do you prevent it from getting so activated the person gets overwhelmed. So really in a therapist's office it's about trying to help them get activated in what we, we call this a window of tolerance, where not too much, kind of like the three bears, not so activated that you can't work on it and not so disconnected from it that you can't work on it, but just connected enough that you can actually work through it. And that's kind of what you, what you end up doing in therapy. Right. In a previous conversation, you were talking about your work in helping to create a, uh, what do you call a trauma-informed campus? Mm -hmm. Can you tell us some more about what that means? For sure. So um, Alex Sterling, who's a graduate of our counseling psych program, and she's also the, the manager of student life here on campus, and I, she's worked with veterans, and she's one of the senior COPE facilitators um, doing the work with the veterans. She and I have been working, um, it started in resident services um, with the folks there, looking at the kinds of things that were happening in residence, because residence tends to be a bit of a, a hotbed for things that happen, sexual assaults, you know, students are, are not doing well, sometimes students try to kill themselves or, or violence happens. And what we started to see was that the people working in residence really had no training in what to do when they're exposed to these traumatic events. And so part of what we started looking at is how can we support, say, the residence advisors who are dealing with a lot of these things and they don't, how can we can support them in a, in a what's called a trauma-informed way? And this is where we, we came in and Alex and I started looking at, really, we can't train people to be trauma therapists. We can't train people to, to work through traumas with people. But that's not really what's necessary because if the social response following trauma is, is the biggest thing that is going to sort of send someone into a negative path or potentially a positive path, we can teach people how to respond. We can teach people what are really helpful social responses. And then we can also teach them the sort of responses to avoid. So that's really, when we talk about a trauma-informed campus, the biggest thing is teaching people what does it mean, how do you get traumatized? Because then people don't presume just because something bad's happened, everyone's going to be traumatized, which we sort of learned with 9-11. 
when, when 9-11 happened and all these therapists sort of descended on New York to try and help, there was some literature that came out that said that wasn't necessarily the most helpful thing. It was too soon. People weren't ready for it. So now that we realize actually giving people the opportunity to learn how to respond following a traumatic event could potentially really buffer the, the effects of the trauma itself. And that's actually scalable. So one of the big things is when you're working with a community, I think we're 24,000 students now, plus a thousand staff and faculty, is how do you give people skills at that level? How do you help everybody, almost 30,000 people, learn this? Well, there's some really basic things that you can actually teach people about how to respond that maybe they won't actually end up being traumatized because of their responses. So as you said, it's scalable. Um, what are the things that we need to do as a society to better support those who experience trauma? Yeah. And I'm thinking not only about the people who are the victims yeah. in those circumstances, the pe but the people who, who deal with it on a daily basis. Uh, veterans, you've mentioned, there's also police, there's mm -hmm. firefighters, there's first-line medical responders, people yeah. who, who have this as part of their work life. For sure, and that's that's one of the big things that's coming online now with the first responder community. Uh, Wounded Warriors Canada has now officially come out that they are supporting both veterans and first responder communities because the the level of exposures and I guess doing this podcast is part of it. We're, we're sort of at the place where this is just starting as a society to see what can we do. So I'm excited to, to talk about this. Most people don't think about ambulance drivers just to take an example as people who get traumatized because they're not necessarily being shot at, they're not going off to war, but their jobs for the most part are going to our life's traumas. And there isn't a lot of infrastructure to support them with that perspective that, hey, as an ambulance driver, you need to have a trauma-informed organization that recognizes you're being exposed every day. And so every time you're exposed, the risk of being traumatized goes up. And what are the things that are in place? So helping organizations learn what does it mean, how do you get traumatized, is the first step towards preventing it. Um, for me, it's, it's the biggest thing I, I'm trying to say is like very small changes with big impacts. So trying to teach people that when someone tells you something bad has happened to them, the first words out of your mouth I'm recommending are, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And then just be quiet. Um, because the, there's a great saying, you know, the, the the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Even the best intentioned people can say things right after someone experiences a traumatic event that will land very heavy and potentially make them not want to ever speak about it again. So, for example, it's even so someone who does get sexually assaulted and they were drinking that night and someone who really loves them, could be a brother or a sister, says to them, well, how much did you have to drink? As the first thing after they say they got sexually assaulted, the chances of that person telling somebody else now because what you do when you say, how much did you have to drink? You're now building a case that somehow they had something to do with it. And we know this, the blame the victim stuff, but we, we often think of the blaming the victim, well, I would never do that. And of course you wouldn't. No one ever, you know, actually go and try and blame the victim, but there's variations on that. And that, that response, like, well, what were you doing out at three? Like, why didn't you just take a cab home? Those kinds of questions, as innocuous as they may sound to any one of us, what they're doing is actually placing the blame on the person who it happened to. And so that's why I recommend when you say, I'm so sorry that happened to you, you connect to the person, you're placing the blame outside the person, and you're not making it in any way about something they might have done. It's placed squarely on whatever it is. It could have been a car crash. It, it could have been like an accident on the ice 
or it could have been a sexual assault or somebody who shot somebody they love or those or whatever it is so someone once said well if someone in campus goes to eight different places and everybody is just saying i'm so sorry to happen to you won't that be weird and i kind of jokingly said well yes because typically people don't respond well so it would be weird um, but i think it would also be helpful so the key seems to be acknowledging the experience in a way that's non-judgmental yeah. but showing compassion at the same time yeah yeah um we'll just close on one other point that you made in a conversation the other day and then we're out of time uh, and i thought it was an excellent point you we were talking about people who experience trauma as part of their work life and you were saying how for veterans we've actually set aside a day mm -hmm. in the year yeah. we have remembrance day yeah. and we acknowledge all that they experienced and and we um, we connect with them as much as we can on that level but for other people who experience trauma like police or firefighters mm -hmm. or ambulance workers or medical personnel there there is no day where we say mm -hmm. we support you in your work we acknowledge what you're trying to do mm -hmm. um, and and that's an important uh, an important thing to think about, I think, as a society. You know, how do we how do we move toward that greater acknowledgement? Yeah, and that speaks to a lack of a response is still a response. Exactly. Okay, thanks, Tim. This has been a fascinating conversation, and um, we appreciate your time, and yeah. we look forward to uh, to more conversation. Thanks, Ted. Thanks. How do you feel, Ted? I feel I learned something. Yeah. There was lots of really, really useful information there. Yeah, I think it's interesting, like, you know, for someone like me, who usually likes to probe and ask questions and uh, likes to process out loud and uh, learning that one simple thing is to say, I'm so sorry that that happened to you, and then nothing. And how powerful that could be and how hard I think it is for a lot of us to say nothing after that or not ask what happened or are you okay or anything like that I that was a takeaway that I had that was really um, important for me I think a lot of us are so well intended and I know Tim talked about that but looking back after hearing what Tim said and actually being in situations where I was asked questions about traumatic events that made me feel uh, like I was being blamed, I realize how easy it is to do that without intending to. Mm -hmm. And this is where people who are trained as psychotherapists and counselors and people expert in the mind can educate the rest of us. Yeah, to be more trauma-informed because it's important to remember that we don't have to fix it. We don't have to solve it. We don't have to take the pain away. We just don't want to make it worse. There was a campaign that ran alongside Remembrance Day, the, the puppy campaign, probably a decade ago, and it was called the White Puppy Campaign. And it was aiming at recognizing the harm that war causes to non-combatants as well. So women and children who are injured and killed or made hostage or suffer at the hands of violent conflict. We're also wanting to have some recognition of that in the Remembrance Day ceremony. And I remember considerable pushback. There was a, a feeling that that was not okay. There was not a willingness to recognize that. But I think that's changing. I think we may see it resurface. Who knows? I think it has to change. And I think we have to 
I sometimes have trouble with um, not being, I think inclusive is important because if you look at, um, particularly we are in Canada, if you look at the history of Indigenous peoples on this land and what colonialism did and uh, residential schools and um, assimilation and genocide policies, like those types of issues, right? We're talking about intergenerational trauma and there's no you know we're working towards the recognition of that but it's still really important as a woman i know that it's important to understand about sexualized violence and the trauma that it imparts there childhood abuse trauma different and you know trauma in the home directed towards men i think that in some ways traumatic events are universal they can happen to all of us um, and some of that leads to trauma and ptsd and some of it doesn't depending on what happens in your life and what the process is and so that's a commonality that we all share. And I think we have to remember in this, as we move forward in this society, that we don't know what other people have gone through. And so it's important to be kind and to be trauma informed. And remember that regardless of where they are, whether they're wounded warriors or, um, you know, people who are homeless or living on the streets or indigenous people or women or children or men, we are all at, we all have the same capacity to suffer that traumatic event. And so it is important for us to remember to be trauma informed and to speak like Tim says, right? With compassion and understanding. So we'll put some links on the bottom of the page for people who want to find out more. If you're interested in learning more about the topic, we'll have links as to trauma education and how to further your understanding. Mm -hmm. It's really important and it's also important for people who feel like they're dealing with trauma to know that there are people out there that can help you because there is light on the other end of the tunnel and there's so much that we know about trauma that we didn't know before and so there's help available. Learning Transforms is brought to you by the Faculty of Education and the Association of Graduate Education Students at the University of Victoria. Learning Transforms is produced by Julie Remy. Sound design is by Xavier Arusho. Special thanks to Tim Black, I'm Ted Regan, and I'm Courtney Baldwin, and thanks for listening.